very significant. There are objective songs that speak about what God has done, and there are subjective songs that speak about our response to what God has done. And it is important that we have subjective songs that give an opportunity for us to express what deep down we desire would be our worship to God. But the problem is if we only sing subjective songs, we are in danger of thinking that our relationship with God depends on how I feel about Him. And if we viewed life in that way, we'd be in a very dangerous situation, I think. Um, We don't sing the song very often these days, but there were a couple of lines in a song, My Jesus, My Savior, that always... Um, made me kind of quake a little bit as I sang them. Forever I'll love you. Forever I'll stand. Now I think we know what we're trying to say deep down. We really long that, for that to be true. But I fear that singing those words glibly could cause us to be overconfident or self-confident. And it reminds me a little bit about what Peter said to Jesus that we're going to look at today. So open your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 26, and you'll find this on page 996 in the church Bibles. Page 996, Matthew chapter 26. I'm going to read from verse 31 to verse 56. Then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly. I tell you, Jesus answers, this very night before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
he went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. While he was still speaking, Judas... One of the twelve arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching And you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. This is God's word. Well, keep the Bibles open in front of you. And let me just draw your attention to, in a sense, the one verse of application in here. And it's there in verse 41. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The way Matthew writes this account uh, in the original language, it's as if he, he changes the tense to a present tense. And he's inviting us really to kind of walk into the garden with the disciples and to see what they saw and to hear what they heard. He's inviting us to observe Jesus. And so can I ask you just to kind of put distractions aside this, this, uh, this morning and, and look again at Jesus here in the garden. Watch and observe him. Three points this morning. Firstly, watch and pray to see the danger of self-confidence. In their last meal together, Jesus had made a shocking prediction. It was back there in verse 21. Um, 
Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. Who's he speaking to? The disciples who've, who've been with him over these past three years. One of you will betray me. And, and it, they're very sad. And, and it, each of them say, surely you don't mean me, Lord. But it gets more disturbing. Uh, look again at verse 31. As they walk to the Mount of Olives, Jesus says, You will all fall away on account of me. All of them. Not just one who will betray. All of them will fall away. By the end of this night, Jesus stands completely alone. They're not going to actively rebel uh, against Jesus in the way that Judas appeared to do. Their sin is the type that's much more common for us, I think. Sins that come from not being prepared. Sins that come from our weakness. Sins that come because we lack conviction and, and resolve. It's not that we plan uh, when we get up in the morning that we're going to sinfully deny Jesus but through lack of awareness and preparation, when external events come upon us, we can buckle and stumble and fall away. How does Jesus know this is going to happen? Well, look at verse 31. For it is written. He knew the Old Testament scriptures predicted it. And Jesus quotes Zechariah 13 that was read to us earlier, uh, over 400 years before. Uh, I mean, just keep your finger in Matthew 26 and turn back to Zechariah uh, 13 on page 957. Over and over again, it talks about key events taking place on that day, is the repeated refrain. Uh, look at chapter 12, verse 2. On, on that day, there's a talk of a cup of staggering. It's going to send all around reeling. Uh, look at verse 10. Uh, on that day, the Lord says, when they look on me, the one that they have pierced, they will mourn as one mourns for an only child. 13 verse 1. On that day, a fountain will be opened up to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. And then 13 verse 7 over the page Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. You see, Jesus was meditating on this very passage as, as he was leaving the upper room and walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. He was the shepherd. His disciples were the ones who would be scattered. And who's doing the striking? Well, in Matthew's account, it is the, the chief priests, it's the, it's the Roman soldiers. But actually, according to Zechariah, it's the Lord who is doing the striking. As Jesus heads to the cross, he's fully aware that his death is all part of a divine plan of salvation. It must happen this way. But it looks like Peter just stopped listening if you turn back to Matthew. After the first few words, you will all fall away because he, he just starts to bluster. Verse 29, even if all fall away, I will not. 
do you hear the self-confidence? He sounds like one of the contestants from The Apprentice, you know, in that opening reel. He's full of confidence in his faithfulness, in his integrity, in his courage. And, and Peter's even been quite dis, insulting, really, about his fellow disciples. Even if all fall away, you know, even if my brother Andrew falls away, I won't do it. I, he might, I won't. And we need to be warned of the danger of self-confidence. Forever I'll love you. Forever I'll stand. Well, Jesus interrupts Peter with another sobering prediction, verse 30. Truly, I tell you this very night, before the cock crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. For all that bravado, you know, moments, one moment he's saying, I'll, I'll die with you. Not even that day, that, that very night, he will disown Jesus. Not once. You can maybe explain once. Three times. How quickly our convictions can dissolve in, in testing times. And Peter still has this very deluded view of himself. Even if I have to die with you, I, Jesus, I, I'll never disown you. And they all said the same. All the disciples said the same. We need to watch and pray because of the folly of self-confidence. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Secondly, watch and pray to see the cost of our salvation. Come into the garden. Look at Jesus. We saw from Zechariah that these events were predestined. They, they were part of God's plan. Surely this is automatic. Uh, one part of the Bible says that even before the creation of the world, God had determined that he would save in this way. So surely this is all automatic now. N not, not, not a bit of it. Look at Jesus. We're not going to sit with most of the disciples as they first enter the garden. We're going to go closer in with Peter, James, and John, the inner circle. Why, why those three? Well, because Jesus really wants them to understand. You know, we, we've seen Peter's bluster, but remember what uh, James and John did earlier in the life of Jesus. They, they kind of got their mum to go to Jesus and say, uh, excuse me, Jesus, uh, would, you, would you arrange it for my boys to sit at your right hand and your, and your left hand when you, when you come into your kingly glory? And Jesus says, well, you don't know what you're asking for. Can you drink the cup that I will drink? Oh, we can, they said. They didn't have a clue. And so, so, so Jesus invites them to come closer and to observe him so they can begin to understand what this business of the cup is all about. And as we walk deeper into the Garden of Gethsemane, look at Jesus. It's something that, we, that, that had never been seen before. Jesus who was always in control, the one with kingly authority, who could do awesome things. He is suddenly agitated, anxious. Stress is obviously building up. He falls apart. 
how shocking that must have been. And he tells them, my soul is overwhelmed. Overwhelmed with sorrow. Even to the point of death, it feels like his heart's going to burst on him just as he's so overwhelmed by this sorrow. But it's okay, he's got friends with him. Stay here, watch with me. And staying within earshot and eyesight, he walks a little further and he throws himself to the ground. Face in the dirt. And he cries out in anguish to God. My father. What intimacy with almighty God. My father. If it is possible, may this cup be taken away from me. Now what was it that caused so much anguish? Was it the emotional pain of knowing the rejection and the humiliation that was coming? Was it the great physical pain, the thought of being tortured and the beatings and the scourging and the crucifixion? That would be enough for us perhaps to be in such distress, but it was something far greater than any of that. We've already heard as we've gone through Matthew's gospel what this being described objectively. That that very night Jesus uh, had passed them bread saying, take and eat, this is my my body. And he passed the cup and he said, drink from it all of you, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Well, there it is objectively, but here... We have the description of what it meant for Jesus subjectively. My father, is there any other way? Is there any other way our forgiveness can be achieved? If it is possible, may may this cup be taken from me. Now this cup is, is symbolic language. In Isaiah chapter 51 verse 17, you can read about God... Um, making the people drink the cup of his wrath that would leave them reeling, staggering under the punishment of their sins. And all the way through the Bible, really, this language of the cup is the language of God's wrath against sin. All our sins are a terrible offense to God. Do you realize this? And God's just holiness means that he has to punish sin. And as Jesus thinks about the hours ahead, Jesus saw fully into that cup. He saw the true cost of the torment of the cross. He would have to drink the cup of God's wrath against sinners. The sins of millions of lives who deserve eternal punishment. And he's going to drink it all down to its bitter dregs. And he recoils at the horror of it. He is the sinless one, the perfect one. At one level, Jesus did not want to die, he didn't want to drink this cup. 
His mind and his heart were, were reeling at the thought of it, and he longed, is there any other way? And then we hear these amazing words. Yet not as I will, but your will be done. Let me tell you, that moment of agonizing in, in the garden was the pivotal point in human history about our salvation. Everything hung in the balance at that point. Well, with what relief do we hear these words, yet not as I will, but your will be done. He volunteers to submit himself under the will of his Father. He loves the Father. He, he longs to do his Father's will. And he he loves us. And he willingly submits himself to this plan to achieve this costly salvation. This is exactly the reverse of what Adam did in another garden. Um, Adam chose to exert his own will above God's will as he disobeyed God, eating the tree of the, 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 the fruit of the forbidden tree. Uh, and the essence of our sin really is this that we say, well, we don't care what your will is, God. We're going to do our will. My will be done is the essence of rebellion sin. Our plans are superior to God. But here, Jesus says, no, your will be done. And I don't know whether you can picture in your mind this scene in the garden and see Jesus lying face in the dirt with his anguish cries. Because if you can see it, how blasphemous to think that our sins are trivial, that they don't matter. How blasphemous to think that actually we can approach God on our own terms. That we don't need Jesus. How blasphemous to think that there is any other way. If there was, would the Father not have provided it? There's no other way. There is still no other way than relying upon this sinless Savior who drank the cup of God's wrath for our sins. The only way is to cling to him. To receive the forgiveness that he has bought at such cost. And my friends, as temptation begins to seduce us that to see as, uh, as sin, as, as trivial, as unimportant, as a casual thing, come back to Gethsemane. Look at your Savior. See the anguish, hear the cries, see the tears. It was no small thing. The thought of it nearly killed him. The reality of the cross was far worse. So watch and pray to see the cost of our salvation. And thirdly, watch and pray to see how to withstand temptation. Jesus returns three times to prayerfully prepare to remain obedient as the hour of his arrest, an inevitable suffering and death that will follow. He's a, he's a free person right now. You know, he can run. 
But the hour will come where he'll be seized and arrested and he'll have no control. What a contrast between Jesus and the disciples. There's Jesus, he's in anguished prayer. Where are the disciples? Fast asleep. They were tired. They just had a big meal. They just drunk some wine. Verse 43 says their eyes were, were heavy and so they fell asleep. But we need to hear something of the disappointment of Jesus at his disciples' failure. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? For one hour? He says to Peter, Well, no sooner had he gone that they were back asleep again. Jesus knew that they would not withstand the temptation of denying and running without watchful prayer for themselves. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. They had not counted on the weakness of their flesh in the time of testing. And these verses really do um, warn us about the danger of self-reliance. I mean, what, what do the disciples need to do? Watch and pray. They can't do this relying on human power. They must rely on divine power. That's why Jesus invited them to watch him and, and to learn from his example. Jesus was under huge temptation, no doubt, to flee from Gethsemane, but he chose another option. The only way that he could follow through was through prayer in complete dependence upon his heavenly Father. And they're too facing a great time of testing. Soon the great temptation would be on them to flee from the garden and deny Jesus or stay with him. They needed to watch and pray. And I wonder, are we sleepy disciples? It's a big challenge to me. The alarm goes off and we decide to lie there just a little bit longer instead of reading our Bibles and going to prayer. Too often we're sleepy disciples. Why are we so sleepy? Well, because, well, we don't believe that what's going on around us is really a spiritual battle. Or maybe we've convinced ourselves with all our subjective songs that, you know, we'll remain faithful to Jesus um, with no prayer and very little Bible. We too need to watch and pray. Because look what happens when we fail to prepare. They completely fail, don't they? There does seem to be a connection, doesn't there? Three times Peter fails to be in watchful prayer. Three times he will deny Christ that very night. But look instead at Jesus, verse 45. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. He doesn't say, rise, let's run. He could have said that, couldn't he? The hour has finally come and Jesus is prepared. He rises from prayer, resolute that he would do his Father's will. The Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of sinners. How incredible for us that this was the case. And Judas comes armed with a posse of armed men and the sting is sprung with the most twisted personal signal isn't it betrayed with a kiss one disciple John tells us it was actually Peter 
shows his courage, swings a sword, severing an ear. I don't know what his plan was. Chop two ears off, the helmet drops, they can't see. I don't know what the plan was. It wasn't very effective. Jesus stops him instantly. Gives, him, gives himself up with no resistance. Jesus was not defenseless. He wants Peter to know that. He doesn't need his sword. He could have asked his father for 12 legions of angels. You know, one legion in the Roman army is about 12,000 men. 12 legions of angels. You know, in Isaiah, you can hear how one angel wiped out um, the Assyrian army overnight around Jerusalem. That's one angel. Uh, not just 12,000 angels, 12 times 12, 12,000. He, he could have got this covered. Disciples just didn't understand that, that this Messiah had to suffer. This was the only way that this salvation could be achieved. He, they didn't understand what Jesus says here, that the scriptures must be fulfilled. And it seems that while Peter was willing to fight, they weren't willing to suffer. And so they just run through fear, through weakness. They disown, they desert. And here's what's immensely encouraging about this. Who is it that Jesus dies for? Is it for worthy people? Full of courage and righteousness? No. Christ died for sinners. He died for denying disciples. He died for people like you. People like me. Isn't that wonderful? This is biblical realism. This is why it's crazy to only sing about what we will do for God. And how faithful and loving we will be. We need to great, place far greater emphasis on songs that tell me what Christ has done for me. That's what I need. It is in Christ and, and in his gospel that I can have any grounds of confidence and assurance. I'm right with God because of what he did for me. Drinking that cup of God's wrath in my place. I need songs that will enable my soul to see the only Savior, to look away from my feebleness, my weak resources, to what a wonderful Savior. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let's sing his praises now, shall we?